0: And as we go through it, there seems to be a lot of times that Jesus performs numerous miracles, and he new, performs numerous miracles in the same manner, if you will. Uh, he'll heal sick. He will raise the dead, and he does so more than once. He will heal the blind and, and various things, and. Um, and I know that we have four gospels, and sometimes, well, that's the reason, and some of the gospels keep um, tell some of the stories. Some will tell other narratives. Some will tell us part of the narrative in a slightly different way, for instance, uh, like in this time, uh, there'll be um, two blind men and in other times there'll be one and some will say well it's a different event or some will say it's the same event and discussion back and forth but I think the reasons that there are multiple discussions is to pound it in our head that Jesus is sovereign to use a a very bad um, English grammar there ain't nothing he can't do Nothing is impossible for him. And so it seems that the writers, knowing the human condition, repeat many of the types of miracles over and over to inform us that it wasn't just a one-off that Jesus can perform. And just as we have that difficulty uh, and the... Future weeks, I'm going to comment on how uh, the disciples who observed him doing all of these various miracles over and over again seem to then not be able to put one plus one equals two. If he can do this, and if he can do that, then he can do this other thing. But when they haven't seen him do this other thing, then they're shocked and amazed. And so we come from this time where Jesus. Has left, and in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 9, it says this And as Jesus went out, went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, I want you to know, since we've been doing this imperfect chronology, this is the first time Jesus has been called son of David. He has been called son of David by two blind men. Remember last week we talked about perspective. And most of us would say, I would never want to be blind. And yet these two blind men see better than those around Jesus. Because they're aware that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, the one who's coming Those around him don't understand it, especially those who are in the religious establishment. Not only don't understand it, are in opposition to him, but here are two blind men who say, have mercy on us, son of David. Notice Jesus' response. And when he entered the house, which meant he didn't stop, he kept on going where he was going. Which seems a little bit unusual because oftentimes Jesus would stop when someone would announce certain things of faith. Or as we looked uh, previously, when the woman who was hemorrhaging said, if I could just touch his garment, he stopped Then There are times that Jesus would stop. But in this situation, Jesus keeps walking on. Which tells me sometimes... When we cry out to him, we expect his immediate attention. And maybe he needs to walk a little further. It doesn't mean to give up on our request. It simply means to continue pursuing the request. And if you're blind and you know that Jesus can make you sighted, I suspect you're not going to go home easily. He may not have heard you the first time, but I'm going to pursue Jesus. So when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him. Now, I don't know if they knew the people of the house or not, but that didn't stop them because they had a need and they knew Jesus, who was the son of David, could fulfill it. And so they entered the house and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Kind of a simple question. It's interesting, a simple question, because why would they pursue him if they didn't think that Jesus could do this? But Jesus is reaffirming their faith. Or do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And again, Jesus does things differently almost each and every time. This time it says, then he touched their eyes, saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, he could have simply spoke. He could have simply touched, but he did both because he wanted us to understand that it was him who was healing but it was because, in response to their faith. Now, the way this is written in English, you can interpret to be: well, if they had a little faith, they would have a little bit of sight. May be done according to your faith. So, if they had a little faith, they'd need glasses. If they had a lot of faith, they'd see 2020. But Jesus isn't. He's saying, "I'm healing you according to your faith." It's not. Oh, it's measured. And their eyes were opened. Now, not all of us, actually, as I look in this room, none of us here are blind physically. But all too often, we are blind spiritually. We don't see the needs that we have for Jesus. It may not be blindness. It may not be... A disease, it may not be a disability, but it certainly is spiritual. We need the touch of Jesus to heal what it is most egregious in our lives, sin. Son of David, have mercy on me. And I believe that you can do this, which is to forgive all of my sin and to never hold me account and to consider me righteous and justified and sanctified because of your great love and your great ability. Their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly. Now, most people have this idea that Jesus is this Melba milk milk toast kind of guy who just It's just weak and unassuming. But notice it says he sternly, if you will, got in their face. He sternly warned them. See that no one knows about this. He healed them and his intention was to be private. And I believe that's why he went to the house to heal them. He could have healed him on the street, but if he healed him on the street, then everyone else would have seen him healing him. And he did not want that because it's getting close to Passover. Now, not the Passover, that's the last Passover that he experiences, but it's, it's one coming. And at Passover, there's a lot of, of Jews who come to Jerusalem and Celebration of the Passover is the required to do and there are more people and he's not wanting to start this now. So he sternly warns them. And you would think because he healed them. They'd listen. But notice their response. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. They didn't just tell their friends. They didn't just tell their neighbors. They didn't just tell their enemies. They told everybody. And when I read, the, and this is not the only time when Jesus tells people not to do something, that they don't do it. I'm beginning to think that in the Great Commission, instead of Jesus telling them to go out and make all disciples, teaching them, whatever, maybe you should have said, I want you to keep it quiet. I don't want you to tell anybody Because then maybe everybody would go out and spread the good news. So maybe we should say, don't do it. And then we will. Verse 32. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. Now, I want to comment. Many centuries ago, People thought that if you had a malady, a disease, or a disability, that it was probably some demon. And then we got very scientific, and we said, oh, there's no spiritual things at all. It's just sickness and maladies. The reality, there's both. Just because someone is sick doesn't mean they're not demon-possessed. And as a matter of fact, this week it was interesting, I was listening to a Christian station, and the, the person speaking said that Jesus delivered her from the possession, the spirit of alcoholism. I rather doubt it. You see, alcoholism kind of deals with our appetites. We like to do things in excess oftentimes. But then we want to blame somebody else because I'm not at fault. And as I've told you, I remember being in a, in a uh, college class, a secular college class about the Gospel of Mark and the priest that was teaching it was saying that, that instead of being demons, there was the spirit of alcoholism and the spirit of poverty and all of these things. And I don't see Jesus dealing with this guy saying, okay, be healed of your alcoholism or be healed of poverty. You see, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in dark places. Now, you may have a sickness or a malady or a disability, and has nothing to do with spiritual matters. It just may be that you're sick. It may be that the environment or what you've done in your life or your genetics just says you develop cancer. And God's not mad at you. God's not punishing you. You just simply have that disease. The question of having that disease is what's your response? you blame God or go to him? Do you want to walk with him in the disease or do you want to be mad at him for giving it to you? But there are also spiritual aspects. There are demon possession. And when it comes to demon possession, it always has an impact on the person. It has a physical impact. And this particular demon possession had the physical impact of the person not being able to speak. So going, so as they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed. And again, every time Jesus does something, they're amazed. So much so, that's one of the reasons that they keep following him, because they want to see what he's doing and to be amazed. Jesus is the greatest show on earth. But they're going to see the amazement, not going to see Jesus. And then they said this, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Which should tell the crowd something. First off, when Moses was asked, that's a polite word, when he was told to go to Pharaoh, his excuse was, well, I can't talk. And God's answer to him was, who made man's mouth to be able to speak or not? So Jesus being able to make this man speak tells something about who Jesus is. And the second thing Isaiah says that when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak, the lame will leap for joy. And all of these things is what Jesus is doing, which is saying that Jesus, by opening this man's mouth, is confirming what the blind man said, he is the son of David. But the Pharisees were saying he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. You see, they're still hard and fast in opposition to Jesus, but not so much of, well, we don't know where he is. But they place the power in Satan's ability. And as we have seen, Jesus' response to that was that that would be Unforgivable. And we see that they continue in that opposition, regardless of what the facts are. The facts are that Jesus is able to do what he does, that he is acting in conformity with the scriptures. And yet the religious establishment says, not so. Jesus was going through all of the cities and villages, teaching and their synagogues and proclaiming proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So we see Jesus continues in his ministry. It's an itinerant ministry. It isn't one where it goes, we're going to hold a big tent revival and you all come. Jesus goes from town to town preaching and teaching and healing. He's performing his ministry throughout the area. And it's just not certain diseases, it's every kind of diseases. It's not certain sickness, it's every kind of sickness. But in addition to that, he preaches. He preaches. Now I have heard in person and through television some awesome preachers. Some awesome preachers who theoretically aren't that awesome. In Billy Graham's early days before I was around, I would, I'd see some of his uh, tent revivals. And he had a passion. Whatever, But in his later days, I think he d- discovered it wasn't about his passion. It was about the spirit of God. And I would go, and we would go to like the Anaheim Stadium. And he would preach a very simple, calm sermon. And then invite people to come. And they would respond. Because it's not about his passion or his words, but the power of God. I would love Not just to read, because we read some of Jesus's sermons, but I would love to hear him deliver it. Because as I read it, it would say something like, that he spoke with authority. And I read that, but I'd like to hear that authority. Wouldn't that be awesome? We're never told in heaven whether Jesus is going to preach or not, but I hope so. Because I think we'll break out in worship. but he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. And I know what I'd love to hear. Joe, you're here because of my blood. Remember when you read in Ephesians that for ages to come, people would declare the glory of God because of my grace. They're declaring the glory of God because of you sitting right there. Because you don't deserve to be here and you know it. I go, amen. Preach on. Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. It is interesting to see when Jesus has compassion. There are certain times he will heal and certain times he will perform as requested. But there are a few times when it says that Jesus felt compassion. He felt compassion for the widow who had lost her only son and rose him from the dead. He felt compassion for others and would respond. When they told him about, in the future, from our perspective, about Lazarus, and when he's, before he raises Lazarus, it says he wept. It's interesting in the places where Jesus has compassion and we see that emotional side of him. In this case, it's for the people because they were distressed and dispirited. A time when Jesus is present, a time when Jesus is performing all of these miracles and healings and resurrections, and yet the people are dispirited and distressed. So what's his response to this? And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus understood even though he is and was and shall always be the son of God, the living God. While he was on earth, he was only one person at one place and there was multiple needs throughout. So I say we need workers. Pray for workers. Because the harvest is plentiful. So my question to you, and it's gonna be an uncomfortable question, and it's a question as I point one finger at you, I have three fingers pointed back at me. How often do you pray God that he send workers? I suspect if you do not, it's because you're not really laboring in the field. Because let's look at it. Most of you are all city folk. I've had the opportunity to be a city guy and also have summer experience in the in the farm. Farm work is hard. And it's hot. And it's long. And you see the acres out there, and you got to do it. You don't want to do it alone. Because when it's alone, it takes a whole long time. But the more workers you have, the easier it is to get the job done. And when it comes to harvesting, it's not like you have all the time in the world, because if you don't do the harvest in a timely fashion, it rots and spoils, and you've wasted all of that opportunity. And so the work is hard, the work is long, and Jesus is saying, pray for workers. Or maybe you've prayed for workers and not many came, and so you've kind of given up because You'd like to see greater things happening and you could know that greater things could happen if you just had a couple of people help you out. But notice he doesn't say ask. He says beseech, which means beg. Beg God for workers. Which means if you want something, you keep asking until you get it. Ask any child. They don't give up. They don't even give up when you say no. Because they really, 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 really want it until they get it, and then there's something else they really, 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 really want. And we kids pick up on certain things. My brother, for instance, would keep asking my dad when he said, We'll see. He kind of figured out my dad was not patient when he said no. When he said no, he meant no. And when he said yes, you can guarantee it. But when he wasn't sure, and he didn't want to say yes to, in essence, make a promise, he would say, we'll see. And my brother knew that the opportunity to keep asking. Well, Dad, can I have it? 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 Well, God wants workers. It's God's harvest. It's God's field. It's what God wants. And so maybe we will continue to ask even when we don't see immediately because it is the will of God. So beseech, beg God for workers while you're working. It's not for, well, God sends somebody so I don't have to participate. No, it's God send people to help me in the field. So, as Jesus went from town to town and synagogue to synagogue, God has called me to this location. But my ministry isn't just at this location. It's wherever I go. And your ministry is not when you show up and face Long Beach and listen to me sit, ramble on about a few things and we sing some songs and, okay, that was a pretty good show for a quarter. You have a ministry. And the part of the ministry is to get revived, to get charged up and go back into the field. The field isn't here. The field's out there. And you bring the harvest in. And so if you have gotten discouraged, kind of like this sheep, beseech God for workers. If you've noticed you've stopped because you're not working, get to work and beg God for workers. Because the difference in this life and the one to come is simple, Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask you to get a seminary degree. He doesn't ask you to testify about what my life is. He just simply says, witness to what God has done for you. And if all that God has ever done for you, which is a lot, is to forgive you of your sins, then tell him that. If he walked you through some difficult circumstance in life, a disease, a death, or whatever it might be, and he walked you through it, then you simply say, I was not alone. God did this with me, and I was not alone. Yeah, people might have been distressed and dispirited, but I wasn't because Jesus was with me. And at the moment, I kind of thought maybe he left. I remembered him saying, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from me. I think that's a pretty good sermon. That everyone can preach. And as we're going to sing. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days. That the fields are white on the harvest. Now, it may not be as easy as it was back in the 60s and 70s when it was kind of the Jesus craze and Jesus whatever. It may be a little harder, but the fields and the harvest still need to be harvested.